Hey friends, you're listening to the Young Adult Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. We hope these words bless you, encourage you, and help you follow Jesus more faithfully. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hi guys, uh, if you've got your Bibles, Galatians 5. We don't have a Bible up on the screen tonight. And I actually kind of like it because it forces us to have the Word of God in our hands, which I think is where it should be anyway. Um, if you need a Bible, we got Bibles in the back for you. You're welcome to take one of those uh, and use it tonight or take it home. That's our gift to you. We also have study Bibles for sale. They're 10 bucks. Uh, honestly, you're not going to find a better deal in a study Bible. And uh, we'd love to get that Word of God. We, we lose like $40 on each one that we sell, but we don't care because you're getting a study Bible, and that's a good thing. Um, so anyway, no Bible tonight, Galatians 5, and you want to put a, a little pinky finger in John 15. We'll be going there as well. So if you want to do like the quick flip later, you can uh, make sure you're ready for it. But guys, um, let's get right down to it because we don't have a lot of time, but we do. But you guys know me, and uh, I don't have enough time to say everything that I'm excited to say tonight. But here's, here's uh, where I'm just going to start. Nothing to do with Galatians 5, but everything to do with all of the headlines and things you have seen on Instagram, on TikTok, on national news, guys, revival is breaking out around the country. It started at Asbury University. Yeah, that's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting because it started at Asbury University, and I think they're still going. Actually, Kel, who used to lead young adults, him and his wife just went uh, to Asbury a couple days ago, and they said it was um, more than you could ever think it was. And so the presence of God is moving, the spirit of God is moving, other churches and college ministries are starting to see this, but someone asked me the other day, and they said, can you believe that of all of the places where God would start revival, um, that, he, that is starting in, in young adults? And I thought, they didn't know what I do, and uh, I thought, I absolutely can't believe it. I absolutely can believe that revival would start with college students and young adults and people who are in your stage of life because... What I have seen over the years, time and time again, is that your age group has been the single number one target of Satan and the enemy. Now, the enemy goes after all kinds of people. He can't touch Christians, right? Satan has no power over us. But what I'm getting at is, um, man, you, you hear the statistics of people who walk away from church after graduation. And you see the draws and the lures of college life. And anyone who's got a regret in their life that they look back on and they wind up hating, guess when it usually tends to happen? college and young adult years, right? Because there's some things, there's some sins, there's things that are in this stage of life and things that we could be doing in autonomy in this stage of life that are so exciting and enticing and attractive to us because that's the reason we fall into sin. It's not because we want to sin, it's because the, the sin seems attractive in the moment. And there's so many lures in this stage of life and you've, this age group, you guys have been such a target of the enemy over the years to draw you away from the church, to draw you away from following Jesus. Guys, the enemy's been after this age group for years because you are the ones that God is now not only starting revival with, but also you just, you've got this passion that is just unseen in other age groups. A few of you just came back from Hume Lake. Alana just came back from Hume, leading junior hires for four days. Ethan was just there. Um, anyone else just come off the mountain? Like, like literally an hour ago, right? If I was you, I would be at home. 
okay? But you're not. You guys are here because young adults have this passion for the word of God that is unseen in other stages of life. Maya just drove from Fresno to be here in time for the leadership meeting. She was a little late, but we're not going to give her credit, uh, crap for that. Um, she drove all the way, like four hours from the other side of the state to be able to be here for tonight. And the reason is because young adults, you guys have a passion when, when the word of God gets in your soul, it's in your spirit, and you guys have this passion for the Lord and passion to serve and passion to reach the needy in our world and the desire to do it. And some of us have even the time to be able to do it. And so it's no wonder you've been such a target of the enemy over the years, nationally and locally, because the enemy knows that if the Holy Spirit can ignite young adults in our nation, in our community, and even within our church to actually rise up and to do something, when you're equipped by the Holy Spirit and you have people like you, man, that train, once it leaves a station, you can't stop it. And so when people ask me, are you surprised those Bibles breaking out with college students? Absolutely not. Right? And what I'm, what I'm going for tonight is not, we're, we're not going to do a, a seven-week-long worship service, like, no, seven-day-long worship service like going on Asbury right now. Um, that's not the plan for tonight. But I want to just put in front of you the fact that of any group that the Lord could have started this movement with, it's you. And the Lord isn't limited in Asbury. The Lord isn't limited in other pockets of the nation. The, the Lord is everywhere. He is always everywhere, all the time. And so if the Lord is starting something in that age group there, do you have the sense that he might be wanting to start things in other places as well? I know our young adult leadership team has gotten together the past little while. We went on a retreat a couple weekends ago, and we have this feeling in our spirit, and we can't really put a thumb on it, right? But we were just meeting tonight and talking about the future of Revive and what it could be and what we're hoping for it to be as we seek confession and repentance, as we lean into real accountability, as we preach from the word of God, right? What this could be on a Monday night, what this could be in our community, not for the sake of blowing up Revive, that's not why we're here. I could care less about that. But for the sake of reaching the lost in our community, guys, something is stirring. And we're not quite as far down the road in this community as they are over in Asbury. But the same God that's at work there is at work here as well. And I want to invite you to be a part of it and to not miss this train. Because it's gearing up, it's loading up, and people are starting to get on. And I want you to be a part of it. And so when Ethan's up here asking for people to help serve and asking people to jump in and get your hands dirty and do the dirty work, even if it's cleaning toilets, guys, there's nothing that you do for the kingdom of God that's wasted. There's nothing that you do for the kingdom of God that will not somehow impact someone else, whether in this life or in another life, the life to come. But I'm begging you guys, don't miss it. Don't miss the train as it leaves the station. What does that have to do with Galatians 5 tonight? Absolutely nothing. So we're going to go to Galatians 5. And uh, you're going to open your Bibles. We're going to go there. What we're doing in this series is we're going verse by verse through the whole book. I believe that's an amazing approach. I love topical sermon series. I've preached a thousand of them in my lifetime. However, I think it is always good to just simply start at verse 1 of chapter 1, go all the way through, and see where the Lord takes the conversation. Now, what that means is I don't have a neat little bow around this sermon. <coughs> I'm still sick. I'm not contagious. I'm like a week past contagious, but I can't shake whatever's going on. So I'm not trying to spread COVID to you guys, but <coughs> it's not COVID, but I am coughing. Um, 
Okay, we're going verse by verse through this, and I just believe, like, what, what we're getting at is there's not a big idea for Galatians 5. Like, here's what this chapter means, and one time, like, no, there's a lot going on here. What we're getting at is we're going through, and we're seeing where the Lord asks us to stop, and we're leaning in, and we're going to see what he has for us, and we're going to just pay attention. Cool? Great. I have the mic, and you don't, so that's going to have to be cool. All right, uh, Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says this. So Christ has truly set us free. If you're joining us for the first time tonight, we have been going through this, and the whole theme so far of Galatians has been freedom in Christ. Not to tie a little bow on a whole book of the Bible, but that really is the heart of why Paul is writing to the Galatians. So he's talking about freedom in Christ, and he's still going on, chapter 5, still droning on. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. If you've been with us other weeks, we've talked about the idea that Christ has called us to freedom, but yet we get pulled back to trying to follow the law, like Jesus' righteousness and how that's enough for us. And it should be enough, but we always get pulled back into works righteousness because we're pride and we like to do our own thing and we like to make sure that we can take a little bit of credit. Like, no, it's all you, God, but I did a little bit too, right? You know, we like to have that going on. So that's why we're so prone to get tied up in slavery to the law. There's other things going on in the text. If you want to catch up, go back and listen to the previous sermons on our podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you do those things. But I'm going to move on to verse 2. It says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, again, go back and listen to the other sermons, then Christ will be of no benefit for you. If you're counting on your work to make you right with God, then Jesus is of no benefit to you. Yeah, I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God, but verse 3, by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Now, Paul has a heart for the Galatians, and as he continues on in this text, you're going to hear it, right? You're going to hear his, like, his big brother heart for the Galatians. He says in verse 7, guys, you were running, you were running the race so well. You were doing great. But what has held you back? Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. He's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. So, again, recapping, there has been people in the church. Now, in in this case, Peter, even, like Jesus' right-hand man, was in the Galatian church. And Peter was the one who, when the, when the religious leaders came around, when the Jews came around, Peter was like, I'm all about grace. I'm all about the Gentiles, right? When the Galatians come around, Peter's like, oh, sorry, when the, the Jewish religious leaders who were like all into works righteousness still come around, Peter's like, oh, forget everything I just said. I want to do what the religious leaders do. And I want to I enforce unnecessary rules on people. And so... And what Paul says about that in verse 9 is that this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Guys, what Paul is getting at here is that sin is never just a little sin. Sin is never just a small thing, whether it's works righteousness over grace or whatever else, right? This teaching, when we, when we accept sin within the church, 
when we accept sin in our lives and just say, like, no, it's manageable. No, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, like, you know, compartmentalize that and put that over here or whatever it is. What Paul's getting at is this teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Now, I don't make bread because I don't have that kind of time. I have a three-year-old, and you probably know him. He's feral. And he prevents me from making bread. Not that I would make bread if I didn't, if I didn't have him, but you get what I'm saying. Some people, though, make bread. Do I have any bread makers in the house? Uh, okay. Uh, one, two, great. Excellent. There's maybe more. Maybe you've had someone else's homemade bread. Homemade bread is so much better than store-bought bread every single time. And there is nothing like walking into the smell of someone's house when they are baking bread. Will you let us know next time you're baking bread so we just come over and just like, right, and just, and just close the door, right? And like you just want to smell the bread just being baked. It's amazing. And when you bake bread, sometimes if you're making a diff- whatever kind of recipe you're, you're using, actually, fill me in. Do you use yeast in every bread recipe or just some? Okay. Okay. So in most breads, let's just say, you use yeast. Now, yeast is one of those things. You just need a little of it, but as it gets mixed up and stirred up, it starts to mix in with everything. Now, what I, what I want to um, kind of highlight here is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little bit of food coloring. I want you to imagine that this is your life, okay? You are now a water jug. Congratulations, you have made it, okay? Um, I want to imagine this is your life. Now, this is just food coloring, and I was going to take just a little drop of food coloring. And what was once back in the Garden of Eden, perfect and pure and untouched and um, perfectly see-through and clear and everything, um, when you add a little sin into the water jug, what you're start, we're going to start to see is that without me even touching it too much, that one little drop starts to spread. It starts to sink down to the bottom. If there was more of a current in this water, which there will be in a couple minutes, um, you're going to see it starts to mix in. But this one little drop now is starting to slowly meander its way through. This is what Paul's getting at, is that we, friends, we have sin in our life, and I'm, I'm not putting anyone on blast because I am right there with you guys. We all have sin in our life that when we kind of take scope of things, we're like, you know what, that's manageable. I can kind of figure that out on my own. I can kind of compartmentalize that and put this over on one side of my life. And I can go over here and, and raise my hands in church and worship, whatever. And, like, I'm not going to really worry about dealing with this. But Paul is making, making it abundantly clear that believing this is like a little bit of yeast that gets mixed in. Eventually, it gets into the whole batch of dough. It's like a little bit of food coloring that gets mixed in to this jug of water. Eventually, you're going to see it gets mixed in to the whole thing. It's like our lives. We just think it's a little manageable thing, and suddenly, slowly, subtly, under the radar, it can start to take over or make us believe lies that are simply not true or cause us to be and do certain things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. Verse 11, dear brothers and sisters, if I, were still, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. Okay, pause right here. Let's just make sure that we're all on the same page about this. 
He says, if I were not preaching salvation through Jesus, no one's going to be offended. Okay? So Paul is making it abundantly clear, the same thing that Jesus made abundantly clear when he was here on earth, that he made abundantly clear through the prophets, that when people preach the, the salvation of sin and the forgiveness of sin through Jesus on the cross, people are going to get offended. People will get mad at you when you preach your faith to them. Now, maybe you don't get up on the, the desk in your Hancock class and start preaching like that. Maybe you do. That's a little weird. But hey, either way, when it comes to relationships and friendships, we all have people in our life like we don't want to be the weird Christian around. We don't want to like push the boundaries of the friendship because if I bring up Jesus and how they need Jesus, they're going to get offended. Paul says, no kidding. That's the point. The point necessarily isn't, to offend someone, but to tell someone that your sin is what's separating you from God and that you are inherently evil because of sin nature that exists within the flesh of every earthly um, human being, that, that we are fallen short from God's glorious standard and that you cannot work yourself and be good enough to, to redeem yourself to be made right with God. When we preach that message that we are fundamentally flawed and broken and that we can do nothing in our own strength, people don't like it. And when we draw the line in the sand that the only way to salvation is not through Allah or Muhammad or meditation or yoga or... Um, uh, Joseph Smith, and that all these other world religions have gotten it wrong, but Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. People don't like that message. And they will not like that message. They didn't like it then. They don't like it now. But Paul makes it abundantly clear. If we're not preaching salvation through Jesus Christ, then no one's going to be offended. And my job is not to offend you. My job is to tell you the truth. Your job is not to offend people. Your job is in love, it's to tell people the truth. And the truth sometimes is offensive. Sometimes, actually, when I'm listening to sermons, this is actually a good marker um, for me. And maybe you want to write it down in, or in a note or in the back of your mind somewhere. You want to write this down. The idea that um, if, if you're listening to a sermon, let's just talk to the Jesus, the Jesus people in the room right now. If you're, like, walking with Jesus, okay. If you're listening to a sermon, Jesus followers, and you get offended by something the preacher says, that is an excellent indication that it's time for you to actually lean in. What we tend to do is we tend to be like, well, that's not me. It's not talking about me. Right? And we want to get all defensive about it or like stand up and walk out because we don't like what's being said. But when someone is up on the stage being faithful to the word of God and preaching the truth, and that truth finds it to be offensive in your heart and soul and spirit, guys, that's something you probably need to hear. Now, sometimes people like Peter, in this instance, get in and they start preaching a false gospel. And they start preaching things, preaching things that are not true. And sometimes people can offend people with things that are not true. So you have to test everything that people say. The Bible talks about testing everything you hear against the word of God. Right? Don't just take my word for what for what I say every week. Like, go look in Scripture. And if it doesn't check out, then you better call me on it. I can't be a pastor that's outside of accountability. I can't be a pastor that's outside of people being able to speak freely into what I'm saying. 
right? Like, you got to check what you're hearing. So if you're, something is true in Scripture and it's being presented and it's offensive to you, that's a great chance to lean in and to see what God has to say to you because he's probably telling you the truth that you need to hear in that moment. Don't run away from it as comfortable as it is, as much as you don't want to hear it. The uncomfortable truth is what changes lives. When we, we all like, I want to grow, I want to go deeper, I want to know more Jesus better in my faith, right? Where in the Bible can you find an example of someone who was comfortable, of someone who was on the mountaintop, and someone who had it all together and was simultaneously growing with Christ? There are very, very few, if any, instances where that is true in Scripture. In fact, more often than not, you see people walking through the valley of the shadow of death, And when they have no one else to cling to, they have to cling to Christ. So if you're a Christian that says, I want to grow, I want to get uncomfortable, I want to know God better, it's going to require us leaning into uncomfortable, hard truths. It's going to require us leaning into things that might be offensive so that we can confess our sin and repent of it and turn our hearts back toward Jesus. So if a brother or sister that you're doing life with calls you out on something, Don't end the friendship if what they're saying is true. Like, use it as an opportunity to grow. The more, when we get uncomfortable, we find ourselves in places where we are actually growing and actually going deeper. The problem is we seek those things in comfort. And when we we seek those things in comfort, we we don't find it. Honestly, that's, that's why this room is always, this is kind of a silly thing, but um, people have asked, like, why don't we replace the chairs in here? Like, can just get, these chairs are not comfortable to sit in for like more than 20 minutes. I'm fully aware of that, right? But the point isn't that our butts are in these chairs. The point is that we come for a few minutes, we hear the word of God, we, we respond to it, and then we go out those doors to go live out our faith, right? We're not, I'm not going to like replace it all with like couches and padded things, which I, listen, I love our padded chairs. They're, they're really nice over there. I've taken a nap on those padded chairs in the worship center, and they're fantastic. However, <coughs> at the end of the day, My goal at Young Adults with you guys is not to create a comfortable experience for you. I want to create a place where you can grow. And if you're here seeking comfort, you're going to come up empty-handed. And that's just the way things run. That's just the way things are going to be. Now, we'll welcome you. We'll love on you. Sometimes we'll buy you food. We'll put our arm around you. We'll pray for you. We'll link arms with you and try to do life with you. We'll introduce you to relationships and friendships and accountability, we'll go up the mountain and we'll go to Hume and do these awesome things together. But at the end of the day, the purpose of that is to seek out God together, not to create this little Christian country club where we all kind of do our things. No, we are here because we are hungry for what God has for us and we want to know him more. Moving on. For you have been called to live in freedom, verse 13. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Guys, if you were here on Sunday, Pastor Jim nailed this. He nails it almost every week. But like when he was talking about this, I wanted to be like, hey, man, brother. Like stand up and just like, like hoot and holler because he nailed this. Two things. One, what this text is talking about. The whole law can be summed up in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. Do not use your freedom, verse 13, to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And God is calling us to use that freedom to pour out and to give back. 
and to pour into others and to overflow from what he's doing in our lives so that other people might see what he is about and who his character is. But what we tend to do, what I tend to do, is say, well, Christ died on the cross, so I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm justified, I am made right with him. And I use that as an excuse to be like, so I'm just going to ignore this little sin over here or kind of bury this little piece of yeast that is starting to work its way through the dough and pretend like it's not a real thing or pretend like it's not something that's worthwhile to deal with because at the end of the day, I'm set free in Christ. So who am I to worry about my sin anymore? Well, God makes it clear we're not to worry about our sin, but we're not to use our freedom in Christ as an excuse to sin. As an excuse to just keep on doing what we were doing to satisfy our sinful nature? No, we're called to pour out and to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? So that's not what Pastor Jim was talking about. That's the first thing I wanted to highlight. The second part is what Pastor Jim talked about and he nailed was when he talked about on Sunday is that, man, there is, in, in, in summation, there are very few people who leave the church because of Jesus. People leave the church more often than not because of other Christians that they don't like or people that they don't necessarily like what was said to them or, or they didn't like some way that someone handled a conversation or they didn't like whatever it was. At the end of the day, people are often hurt so much more by other Christians, by the biting and devouring of one another in the church. And that is a driving force of why people like leave ministries and, and leave churches and they cut themselves off from the community that they've invested all this time and effort and equity, sweat equity into because someone said something, someone did something they didn't agree with. Friends, like Pastor Jim said, at the end of the day, we are a hospital for broken people, not a museum for good ones. And so when you come to a hospital, when you come to a place where broken people are gathered, you can expect a little bit of brokenness and a little bit of mess to get on you. And when it does, it's not a, Here's what's going to be offensive to some of you. When it does, it is not a moment to freak out and to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she said that. How could they? If they're walking with Jesus and they're forgiven and they're redeemed, how could a Christian say that to me? Or how could a Christian say that to me? I just, my, I'm sick and so the high voice is easier right now. Okay, right? At the end of the day, right, someone's going to say something. Someone's going to do something and you're not going to like it. And in that moment, you'll be like, well, I'm not going to go to that young adults group anymore. I'm not going to serve at that church anymore. Or you can lean in and recognize that this is something that God is working on in their life. And you can either be part of the solution or you can continue in the problem and continue to just isolate and to walk away as opposed to leaning in and be like, hey, what you said offended me. What you said wasn't true. What you said was a lie. What you said wasn't something that I was, that was, I was ready to hear. Or maybe it was something that was just completely off base. But instead of having the honest conversation with the person, which is what the Bible calls us to do, we walk away because we want to be polite and not stir the pot. Okay? If this hasn't happened to you, you know people who have left other churches or left this church for that exact reason. And this makes it very clear, maybe not this particular text, but the, the, when it talks about biting and devouring one another. Guys, when we come seeking Jesus as a bunch of broken people, you're going to get brokenness on you. So the expectation isn't a low expectation of God's people. It's just a realistic one to say that someone somewhere is going to let you down. 
some of the young adult leaders, some of the young adults in this group eventually will let you down. I'm not saying if, I'm saying when. Some of the young adult leaders and mentors in this group will let you down. I will let you down. I will say something dumb. I will do something dumb. That is pretty much my entire life is just saying and doing dumb things and, and learning from my mistakes, right? People ask, you know, how did you learn how to be a pastor? I didn't. I just figured out what not to do over like 13 years. And eventually when you know enough of what not to do because you get in trouble enough times, you figure out kind of what you're supposed to do. Like there's a cliff over here and a cliff over here and there's a road here. It's like, well, I guess I know where not to go, right? And you drive that way. So I am going to offend you. I am going to hurt you unintentionally, hopefully, but I am just as broken as anyone else. Pastor Jim is just as broken as anyone else. Your leaders here are, right? And so may these be opportunities to lean in and be like, to, to say, we're broken, you're broken, I'm broken, let's link arms, let's do this together. You said that stupid thing, but I forgive you. Forgiveness is way more uncomfortable than walking away, by the way. Forgiveness is way harder than just walking away or finding a new church. But some of us need to just know that that's the uncomfortable situation that God is calling to is, is, is forgiveness and, and reconciliation of relationship, right? So at the end of the day, if we're always uh, biting and devouring each other, watch out. He says, beware of destroying one another. End of verse 15, beware of destroying one another. So verse 16 goes on to say, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. These are two forces constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You ever feel like, like Paul says, that there's something that you really wanted to do, but you just can't seem to, to figure it out? Like there's a sin you really wanted to just conquer and you, you, you can't? Or there's something you really, a habit you really want to stop and you can't? Right? Like, it's talking about this idea. There's two forces at work. Our sinful nature, the, the forces at work are not the devil and the Holy Spirit. The forces at work, what does it say? It is our sinful nature, our flesh, which is inherently evil. If that's offensive, welcome. Right? This is our sinful nature that we are broken fundamentally at the fall. And the Holy Spirit who is regenerating us and making us new. These two forces fight, so we're not free to carry out our good intentions. And when we're directed by the Spirit, we are no obligation under the law of Moses. So these two forces are fighting, and we live in this tension as Christians. And let me tell you something, guys. No matter how old you get, that tension does not go away. The only time that tension goes away is when we leave this earth. And because our sinful nature, here's how it works. Our sinful nature, our flesh, is inherently sinful. And so as long as our flesh is alive... Our sinful nature is alive. But the Holy Spirit is also alive in us. So right now they're warring. The only way to separate the battle of the Holy Spirit and the sinful nature is for our flesh to die. Which is why when God introduces death into the world at the end of Genesis chapter 3, it is an evidence of his grace. That he gives us an opportunity to not live forever warring in our spirit, but finally, one day, we will close our eyes in death, our flesh and our sinful nature will be left behind, and we will open them up to see Jesus face to face and have no, no more even desire to sin. It's just gone because that was left in the grave. Now, one day, the Bible talks about the resurrection of the body and God making all things new and figuring that out. That's another story for another day. We're not getting into Revelation tonight, but 
What I'm here to tell you, yeah, oh, um, what I'm here to tell you is that this is part of the battle, right? It's this, we live in this, all, they call it the kingdom of the already and not yet. If you belong to Jesus, you are already saved, you are already indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but you are not yet brought to completion. As there's this tension, there's this tightrope. We're already seen as perfect through the eyes of the Father, because when he looks at us, he sees Jesus, but we are not yet actually perfect because of our sinful nature. Right? This is already and this not yet, it's this tension. And what this process is called, the process of, of dying to our sinful nature and living for the Spirit is called, is a fancy word called sanctification. Okay, it's a theological word. It, it is the process of becoming more like Christ, of being sanctified. Um, and here's why I'm bringing this up, because the text does, but also this process is freaking frustrating. I just want to be done with sin and be like, Jesus, I'm all in for you all the time, 24-7, never battling, never having wrestles, never having struggles, never having issues. I just want to live for you. And God's like, that's not how it works, bro. And I'm like, dude, why not? It would be so much easier if I could just be done with this sinful nature, but God's doing something in my heart, in my life, that I don't completely understand, but this is the way he has authored it, that he is going to sanctify us. So here's how this works. Look, sin has spread throughout the whole container. Now, let's just make this a little more dramatic effect. Here's how sanctification works. So this is us. So this is sin, okay? Your, your life. Now, this is the fall. It has, it has broken humanity. We were perfect. God made us for relationship. We were crystal clear. Awesome. We screwed it up. We are now, there's no way to separate the sin back out, okay? So, and then what happens is we're not just like a product of our, of our flesh. We also like make active choices to, to, to sin, okay? So this is um, our, our issues with addictions, this is, um, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. So this is that stupid thing you said to your mom or dad. Um, this winds up being uh, the porn issue that uh, no one likes to talk about, but 90% of dudes struggle with and 50% of women. Um, yeah, if you're offended, welcome. Um, this is the whatever else, right? This is just sin that goes on and on and on and on. This is our sex before marriage. These are the drugs. This is the whatever you want to throw it in, okay? Welcome. This is our life and it's, it's just kind of cluttered with sin. Now, when we say yes to Jesus, this, pro, this thing happens called justification. In a moment, you are made right with God through Jesus' work on the cross. In a moment, boom, done. Like you blink, you say, you confess your sin, you repent, you want to live for Jesus, you are made right with God, that's it. And so you are justified. So even though this is what a true picture of your life looks like, God looks at it, and between him and you, Christ stands. Christ's death on the cross. Right? So God looks at you, and Christ is standing right in between you guys. Um, but there's this process called sanctification that even though we were made right with God in a moment, God is dealing with sin slowly over time. So the moment we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us and starts to fill our lives with who he is. Now, this is pure, pure crystal water. And when we say yes to Jesus... We start to die to ourselves. This is our confession and repentance of sin, okay? This is us confessing, repenting, confessing, repenting. We are emptying ourselves of sin time and time again. Confessing, repenting, confessing, repenting. Leaning into accountability, leaning into small groups, leaning into worship, leaning into serving. I'm just going to cut this off so it doesn't overflow. 
real quick, okay? Get a little chance to bleed off. But you get the idea, right? What happens over time? What you're going to maybe notice, maybe not, because it's pretty thick in there. But physics would tell you if you were to shine a light meter through there, that that color is going to slowly get diluted, right? Just, I mean, you're adding, you're letting go of the red water and you're adding more clear water. So eventually, you keep this process going and this water is going to get very, 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 very pale red. Now, this is the life of a Christian. We open up our word, we pray, we jump into church so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in our life, but we, gotta, we wanna pursue it. We, wanna, we, wanna, we don't just want the Holy Spirit coming in our lives like this. Like we want that flood coming through. Like we want the Holy Spirit just be like pouring into us. And so we gotta give our time to doing these things, right? And then as we repent of sin, not only fill up our Bible studies and do these kinds of things, but also then repent of sin, confession, repentance, confession, repentance, this process just, eventually, you see where the process goes. This water will be next to clear eventually. I don't think I have enough water for this to be able to work. But the physics of it will tell you that I'm right, right? Okay, yeah, it's really not changing color too much. I thought this would be, this be more dramatic, but it's not. Um, but you get the idea. I'm going to let this drain out just for a second, and then imagine it's still kind of dripping. I just don't want to stand here anymore. Um, and then we'll, we'll let that keep going. So this is, this is the process of sanctification, right? This is what sanctification actually looks like in the life of a Christian. It's you're always going to have sin in your life. However, the Holy Spirit is continually renewing you, regenerating you, changing your attitudes, changing your perceptions. So even though there's sin, sin moves from something that is just something that completely infests and infects every single thing to slowly but surely your desires change and they're different. And you're not, so, you're not as diluted with sin, but you're more now diluted with the work of the Spirit in your life. And this process is a lifelong thing. Okay, I'm going to turn this off so I can actually talk. You get where I'm going with this though, right? Eventually, over time, this would be clear. It's not right now, but one day... It would be. Um, okay. So sin is still in our life. And although we would all rather just be done with sin, we're not. So what do we do with that? Well, I want to um, continue on, and we're going to come to the end of the text here in just a, in a minute. But uh, Paul goes on to say, he talks about, hey, listen, you got this you got this battle between good and evil, between your sinful nature and the Holy Spirit going on in your heart. And he talks about now the implications in verse 19 of following your sinful nature. Verse 19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, Ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me just be very clear in what Paul is saying here. is saying that jealousy is a sin. Outbursts of unrighteous anger is a sin. 
Sexual immorality and impurity, even in our thoughts, is a sin. Our culture celebrates sexual freedom, and you just, you do and you, and you can, you know, try before you buy, and I can be whoever I want, right? Like, God's like, no, that is sin. It's very clear. It's very plain, and there's no sugarcoating on this. It is sin. Selfish ambition is sin. Stirring dissension or division among especially God's people is a sin. Envy is a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. Wild parties is a sin. Idolatry, putting something else in the spot that God should occupy in your heart is a sin. So now that I've offended everyone in the room with this, let's just be very clear that that little sin that you and I have tucked away in our hearts because it's just jealousy, it's just a little jealousy, just a little comparison, it's just a little envy, it's just a little dissension, just a little division. Like, I'm not trying to cause a big problem. I just want them to know what's actually going on here. So I'm going to, but I don't want anyone, I don't want to get found out that I'm the one that's telling a story. So I'm going to tell these people one thing and tell these people another thing, right, and cause division, whether on purpose or on accident, right? That's sin. So now that we've identified that all of us are somehow guilty, let's go on to remind ourselves that as Paul has said before, that anyone living these sorts of lives will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, though this might be what our life looks like and feels like, what does the Bible say? It is not about our works that make us right with God. It is not about stopping going to these parties that make us right with God. It is not stopping the jealousy that makes us right with God. It is, it is not these things. It is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and believing that he died for our sin in our place that makes us right with God. It is not what you do. It is about what he has done. And so though sin might still live in our lives, at the end of the day, sin tends to show up in one of two ways in the life of a Christian. Number one, it tends to show up as, we'll put it this way. It's either, it can either be our master or an, or an imposter. A master or an imposter. What I mean by that is if sin is our master, then what that means is if we are wrestling with, uh, let's just say, lustful pleasures, okay? If that's, is that the, if that's the thing, if sin is in our life and as, as a master and, and lustful pleasures abound, what that means is we're in a place where we're like, we're not really wrestling with it. We don't really care. It just is what it is. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to sleep with who I want to sleep with. I'm going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to see what I'm going to see. That means sin is kind of in our hearts, kind of calling the shots. As, it war, as our sinful nature wars with the Holy Spirit, that means sin's in our heart kind of calling the shots. Sin as an imposter means that sin is still in there. But at the end of the day, it's not there because we want it to be there. It just sneaks in. So when, we'll just use the same idea, lustful pleasures, lustful desires come into our lives. It's not because we want them there. We don't want them there, but we, they, they find our way, though we close the front door and lock the back door, it finds its way in through the window. And we're like, hey, what are you doing here? 
And we try to kick it out, and then it comes back the other window, right? Right. The, you get the difference between sin being a master in our lives or being an imposter in our lives. So at the end of the day, when we talk about sin being a master, what we're talking about is we are slave to that sin. We are just willingly doing whatever we want, and that is not indication of a heart that is regenerated for Christ. Sin as an imposter is indication of a heart that is regenerated for Christ because verse 22 says that the Holy Spirit will produce a different kind of fruit in our life. And this fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we live with sin as a master, what we find ourselves in is completely unashamed sorcery, idolatry, hostility, anger, lustful pleasures, wild parties, doing the prodigal something and not even giving a rip about it. When sin finds its way in as an imposter, it's because the Holy Spirit is trying to produce fruit in our lives, but every now and then weeds grow up. They kind of sneak in. So I want to ask you, when it comes to sin in your life or certain areas of sin in your life, have you ever thought about it that way? And is, what is sin in that, in that instant? Is it a master or is it an imposter? Where and where will it take you? But the Holy Spirit produces these, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. And as we come to a close here tonight, I've got two minutes and 30 seconds left. Two hours and 30 minutes left. As we come to a close here tonight, I want to highlight something, and this is where I'm going to land the plane, because there's been something that happens in the church that really ticks me off, okay? And I'm just, I'm all sorts of out of shape tonight, okay? Um, and I am guilty of it too because I have put together a sermon series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And we spend a week on love and how to love. And we spend a week on gentleness and how to be gentle. And a week on self-control. How many of you have ever been to a church and that's been a sermon series? Or you've done a Bible study on it? Okay. Verse 22, read it, read it, read it, read it. Who produces the fruit? The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. We don't produce love. We don't produce joy. We don't produce patience or gentleness or faithfulness or goodness or self-control. We don't produce kindness. The Holy Spirit produces these things in our life. So to do a sermon series about how to be good goes nowhere because you need the Holy Spirit to make you good. The, sp the sermon series about how to have self-control might have some helpful tips, but to be truly self-controlled, you need the Holy Spirit. So why are we wasting our time doing sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit? I don't know, but I've wasted my time doing sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit. They're good things to talk about. Like it says, there's no law against these things. But at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit. Well, then how do you get the Holy Spirit to produce that kind of fruit in your life? If your finger's been falling asleep in your Bible in John 15, flip it to John 15, because this is how we get the Holy Spirit to produce this kind of fruit in our life. First of all, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But what does it say? John 15, chapter, uh, uh, verse 1. I am the vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message you have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. 
Some of us are trying to live our lives separate from the vine. And our one hour a week at church on a Monday night is not living attached to the vine. We show up and we try to just stick ourselves against the tree and we're like, let me just lean here for an hour and see if I'm going to grow. That's ridiculous. You don't do that with branches in real life. Kind of cool if you could, but it doesn't work that way. The branch dies. There's no way around it. You have to abide in him. Yes, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, I remain in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. and It will be granted when you produce much fruit. You are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. How you get the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in your life is to abide in Christ. To just abide in Christ. So what does it look like to abide, guys? It's to seek Jesus above all else. To not let imposter sin take over the whole batch of dough. To confess and repent that sin, even if it's small. And to say, Lord, I recognize that jealousy is something that is not inherited in the kingdom of heaven. I recognize that anger and division and strife and quarrels are not things that are invited to the kingdom of heaven. That my lustful pleasures, my lustful thoughts, that second glance is not something that is invited into the kingdom of heaven. So I'm not going to let sin continue to live as an imposter. I'm going to confess it before the Lord and I'm going to repent of it, which is a military word for going, which means going the other way, confession and repentance. Guys, you want to know why revival is starting? It's because the Holy Spirit has drawn a generation of college students and young adults to confess of their sin and repent. That's as simple. There's no like amazing worship leader over there. Maybe there is, no offense. There's no amazing worship set. Have you seen the building? They don't even have a, a single colored light inside of Asbury University, okay? Right? And people are waiting outside the door. They have been for a week and a half waiting to get in and driving from all over the country because there are people who are in that room who recognize their need for a Savior. And even if they're saved, they're recognizing that sin has found a way into their lives still. And they are making a practice of confession and repentance each and every day, each and every week. You want to abide in Christ, it's confession and repentance. What we can do also, we can seek a community that shares our values and, and not just seek a friend group that shares our same interests. Okay? Right? All of us have friends and we hang out with our friends because they have similar interests as us. But we know, some of us know that we have friends that though they have the same interests, they share different values. So while we have a great time playing D&D together, at the end of the day, our lives are going different directions. But we're still kind of friends because, yeah, you know, they're kind of cool. And, right? No. What if we made decisions for our community and our friend groups based on common value? Not common interest. Do what you, so there's that. How else do you abide? Do all that you can do to discover and live into your purpose. God has wired you for a purpose. He has given you skills and interests and things that you really care about. And he's, he's allowed us to live in this world that has deep needs. So where does your skill and your interest meet the need of the world? Guys, that's where you're going to find your purpose. Finding community, finding purpose, and getting discipled, really leaning in. Especially those who, uh, if you're going up to Hume and like, you're like ready to hear the word and what they have to say. Guys, God can do amazing things up in a mountain, but he wants you to be discipled here down off the mountain as well. 
okay? So finding your community, finding your purpose, being discipled. And that's what Revive is really all about. That's why it's not going to be comfortable. That's why we're done with that whole, like, let's make it as comfortable as possible. No, like, we're going to lead it. We're going to preach the word. Some people are going to offend you. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to confess and repent of our sins. And we're going to let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And that's what Revive is going to be about. Friends, you will lose interest in this program Monday nights very quickly if your experience here is simply sitting. This will be fun for you for like three weeks. And you're like, that's just another youth group. Like, I'm done with youth, right? No, like when we lean in and seek accountability and community and purpose and discipleship, that's when our spirit truly starts to be revived as we lead into the Holy Spirit. It's not about simply sitting. It's about taking our next right step. So what we are going to do tonight is take a next right step. We've been needing to do this for a long time. And we're not just going to do it one night. We're just going to start doing it every single week here at Young Adults. We're going to do this thing called communion. And what communion is, it is a representation of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ shed on the cross in, for the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible talks about, on Jesus' last night, he says to his disciples, he takes bread and he says, this is my body which has been broken for you. Take it and eat it and remember me. And then he says, he takes a cup full of wine and he says, this is my um, blood which will be shed for you. Every time you take and drink of it, remember me. Remember the cross of Christ. Remember how much it cost the Lord to sacrifice his one and only son for that little sin that you are keeping hidden in the secret part of your life, that I am keeping hidden in the secret part of my life, whatever that is, that little bit of yeast that could infect the whole dough. Guys, that's what Jesus died for. And so what we're not going to do is spend another week just pretending like that stuff doesn't exist. We're going to come before the Lord as a bunch of broken, messy people and just say, I have sin to confess. I'm here to repent of it, which means to turn away from it. And when I go from this place, I simply want to do everything I can to live it out. Your community can help you. Being discipled can help you in that process. But confession and repentance, right? The Holy Spirit pours in, but this is confession and repentance. This is the sin pouring out. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. It's got to be the drumbeat of the Christian life is confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. And it's not to say that you're this like unworthy piece of slime, right? That, oh, well, I just feel bad for my sin. No, the Lord died for you. So anyone that the Lord gives his life for is worthy and valuable and has inherent dignity and worth. You could not be less of a worm or less of a in the eyes of the Lord, right? God sees you and he's like, I will give my very life for that person. So you are held in high regard. You are the son and daughter of a king. But at the very same time as you are the son and daughter of a king, we also have this to deal with. Okay? And we can't ignore this just because we have an identity as a son of daughter or as a king. We can't ignore this. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. We're going to do it all the time, every week. Now, quick side note. If you are not a Christian, I'm going to ask you to please not take communion with us tonight. And it's not like you have to be baptized here to have uh, communion. No. Um, this practice is for those who are actively following Jesus, want to confess their sin, and repent it before the Lord. Okay? Uh, second thing, if you are a Christian and you are in a place where you are not fully ready to repent of said sin, don't take it. This is for people who are in that, that sort of like, I recognize the weight of my sin and what it's doing, what it's done in my life, what it can do if I continue to let it go unchecked, and I want to turn around from it, and I want to turn away from it, and I want to repent of it, right? That is, what, that is what communion is for. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. 
then I'm going to shut up. I'm going to invite the worship team on stage until they too are ready to partake. And it's going to be a bit weird because you're going to see Tim surprise Tim. Well, if it, now if someone, let's just say this, if someone doesn't take communion, right, that is not a moment for us to be like, well, why, why didn't they take communion? Like, what's wrong with them, right? Like, what are, what's, what's going on in their life? Okay, don't judge. Let's just let everyone have their moment with God. So if Tim so chooses, based on the condition of his heart tonight, to take communion, he's going to awkwardly put his guitar down, and he's going to walk off the stage and stop leading us, and there's going to be words on the screen, and, and you're, you can sing him without the lead singer. And, and when Ethan's ready, if he so chooses, he's going to leave the drum cage, come out, take communion, and he's going to go back and play the drum. And when the tech team, if they so choose, you're going to see the words stop moving. Okay? I promise you the Holy Spirit is bigger. I can handle it. God forbid we don't get the right words. You ever, like, you go to church, and, and uh, the words stop moving, and immediately everyone's, like, looking up at the tech booth, like, what happened up there? Did they, did they die? It's like, bro, I missed, like, three words. Chill. Okay? Right? So when they're ready to come <laughs> take communion, they can come, and they can take it. And it's going to be a little weird. It's going to be a little awkward. But we're not polished. We're not put together. We're broken. We're the kingdom of God, guys. It's, let's just do some real life together for just a hot second. This is not a production. This is just us confessing and repenting our sin. And um, for those who have not done it with us before, um, this is not that you have to go before the priest and, like, confess your sins. No. You just simply go back. What I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back. I'm going to take the bread. I accidentally bought garlic bread. Um, <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to... It still works. And uh, it, your breath would just smell like sin, okay? And then you're going to dip it in the grape juice, and, and um, you can just come back to your seat. You can sit there and hold it and pray for a little while and get a little grape juice kind of drip on your hands and kind of down your arm and off your elbow. Um, those who've been to church, a church like that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, or you can just, like, pop it in your mouth right there, right? Like, this is a time for you and the Lord to just sit and be still and to confess and repent of your sin. And if you want to sit in the same seat you're in, you're wel welcome to come back to that. You can sit in a different seat to just pray and process. And when you're ready to take communion, you can take communion. It's not all going to happen at once. You just get up when you're ready. We're going to sing like two songs and maybe some more. Um, get up when you're ready. Come sit down when you're ready. Why am I defining the terms? Just so that I'm just creating a little bit of like guardrail so that you don't like go over there and like steal a whole loaf of bread and just be like, oh, this is communion. It's garlic bread. It's so good, right? Or so you don't feel weird. I just don't want you to feel like distracted from being able to connect with the confession and repentance of your heart um, because you don't know how this is all going to work, okay? That's, that's why I'm explaining it so much. You guys aren't junior hires. You can handle it. I just don't want you to be distracted by like, what's everyone else doing? Like this is between you and the Lord, okay? So just let it be. Um, and it'll be a little weird, but it'll be a little awesome. And uh, I believe when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of young adults and draws them to confession and repentance, and we live this not just as a thing we do on Monday nights, but we're connected, we abide in Jesus, we're connected to the vine, and this is a lifestyle of confession and repentance. Guys, the train leaves the station, and it's unstoppable. I'm not trying to start a revival at Revive. But it's interesting that a name that was chosen six years ago has a little bit more weight to it today than it might have had last week. What might God have for us if we went all in?
what might God have for you if you went all in? All in starts with confession and repentance. All in continues with confession and repentance until the day when we go home to see the Lord and we stand to him face to face and this is all dealt with and we are made new again to glorify God for his work on our behalf forever and ever, God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. I pray any word that I said that isn't of you, we'd forget. Any word I said that is of you, we'd remember. God, we're not here to hear a preacher. We're here to hear your word. We want to confess and repent. We acknowledge we've been letting sin live as an imposter. Some of us even letting sin live as a master in our lives. And we want to just come before your throne and bow down and say, we recognize our sin. We see it. The secrets that we've kept, the desires of our hearts, the things we've watched and clicked on, the addictions we just let run rampant, the hidden jealousy and envy, the quarrels. God, the standard you set for us is perfection and we can never live up to it, but thank you that you sent someone who could, that you sent Jesus to live our life that we should have, to die the death that we deserve so that in his place, instead of getting guilt and shame and condemnation, which he absorbed on the cross, we instead get grace and forgiveness and mercy when we need it most in the depth of our sin. God, remind us all over the gospels, you did not come to save the religious people who thought they had it all together. Reminded of the story where there's two people praying at the temple. And the one says, forgive me, Father. I have sinned. I do not deserve your grace and mercy. Please forgive me. And the other turns and says, thank you, God, that I'm not like him, a broken sinner. Jesus, you sent that broken sinner home justified before you that day and not the righteous, religious person. In a room full of church people, God, may we not be the righteous, religious people, but recognize we are still broken people in need of your grace and mercy been hiding behind religion, we've been hiding behind a church face, we've been hiding behind all these things because we don't want to get found out, but God, you know. Confession is not telling you what you don't know. Confession is a practice of reminding ourselves that you already know, but we can come to you anyway and find grace and mercy through the power of Jesus on the cross. We love you, Lord. Be with us this time. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We have a whole lot more going on around here at church, and we hope to see you Monday nights, 7 o'clock for Revive. If you want more information about upcoming events, classes, camps, or activities, visit us at fccsantamaria.org.